Sometimes we admire people for what they're able to do, but we never realize what it took for them to get there. It may be an athlete that you admire and wish you could play like he or she plays, or perhaps it's a singer that you'd like to be like him or be like her, or perhaps there's just this one author that always seems to grab your attention, or maybe it's a teacher who fascinates you with his or her knowledge. We, we see incredible talent on display, but what we don't see are the silent days, days of struggling, days of learning, days of growing. When you see Elijah in 1 Kings 18, he is bold and he is daring and he stands before King Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal and he has such a daring faith that he calls fire down from heaven. What you may not know is what God did to prepare him for that moment. You see, God's heroes in the Bible were not always heroes. God often does a work in us long before he ever does a work through us. And the more that God uses you, the more He prepares you for what's ahead. Now let me give you a full disclosure. God's preparation is not always easy. God's preparation is not always comfortable. God's preparation is not always fun. In fact, I have a sticky note on the wall in my study and I look at it quite often. It's a yellow sticky note. It's a, a, a quote from Chip Kelly that I put on the wall, just directly in front of my desk. And here's what the, Chip Kelly, by the way, is a head football coach at UCLA. And here's what this sticky note says. If it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. If it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. Could it be that what you're going through right now is preparing you for what God wants to do in your life in the future? You ever thought about that? And perhaps you're just thinking about how bad things are. But could it be that what you're going through right now is God preparing you for what He's going to do through you in the future? You can't understand what God did publicly through Elijah until you understand what God did privately with Elijah. Or to put it another way, you really can't understand 1 Kings 18 until you understand what God did in 1 Kings 17. And we talked last week about this dramatic statement that Elijah made to King Ahab, where Elijah leaves his home, goes across the Jordan River, probably with a great burden because his nation, his people have followed the, the, the idol of Baal, and, and he goes up to King Ahab, and this is what he declares, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. It's interesting that we're not told in the text how Ahab responded to that. I mean, did he laugh? After all, he, he, did, he believed that Baal was the one who sent the rain. So what did he think and what did he say and how did he respond when Elijah came up and, and made this statement? Well, I, I really doubt that he was very concerned at first. But as one month turned into two, two months turned into three, and three months turned into four, I wonder what he thought then. In fact, I've tried to put myself in Ahab's sandals this week, and I think the word that would have grabbed my attention is this word right here, years. Anybody can put up with a drought for weeks or even for months. The wells aren't going to go dry immediately. But years? And probably the longer the drought went on, the more he worried about what was going to happen and the angrier Ahab became. 
In fact, if, when you, we're not going to read it, but if you go on over to uh, 1 Kings 18, in verse 4 and in verse 13, it says that Jezebel was killing off the prophets of the Lord. In great anger, in retaliation, there was this drought that went on for months and then years, and Jezebel began to kill off God's prophets. I guess that's why the story takes an unexpected turn. You see, right after Elijah made that declaration to King Ahab, God told Elijah to go do something. Let's open God's Word if you haven't already. 1 Kings chapter 17 is our text today. 1 Kings chapter 17. So in verse 1, we have this great, bold, daring declaration. And then notice what God said immediately after that in verse 2 and verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. It seems that God had two reasons for telling Elijah to, to leave Ahab, go back across the Jordan River and go to the Kareth ravine and to hide there. First of all, he wanted to protect him. That's the obvious reason. Leave right now. Go over to this area where nobody else will know where you are. God sent him there to protect him. And secondly, I'm convinced that God sent him there to provide for his needs and watch this and to prepare him for what was ahead. Look at verse 5 and 6. So he did what the Lord had told him and he went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. During this famine, during this drought, God provided for Elijah in miraculous ways. Elijah drank fresh water from the brook, and God ordered the ravens to bring him bread and meat every morning and every evening. Now, just think about this. Those at home, I hope you're thinking with me through this, and those here, I want you to think about this. I want you to think what an encouragement that must have been every day to watch the ravens fly in with meat and bread and knowing that God was behind it. Don't you think that would have put a smile on your face? You probably would start naming them, you know? you start naming the ravens who are bringing it in and I wonder what you're bringing today. What kind of, it just says meat. Doesn't say what kind. Maybe there's a variety. What kind of bread? Doesn't say maybe there's a variety. I don't know, but here's Elijah utterly alone with God and I'm convinced he would never forget that time when God provided for his needs in miraculous ways. He had to shake his head in amazement at God's sovereign control over nature as the ravens flew in every morning and every evening, serving as God's catering service. And he watched this. We don't know exactly how long, but he watched this for at least months maybe even a year, living by the brook, drinking the water, watching the ravens come in and take care of his needs and feed him. And this is where the story takes another unexpected turn. Look in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And now, pause here for a moment. I, I want to go off script for just a moment. Why was there no rain in the land? It's not a hard question. There was a drought, but why was there a drought? 
Elijah had prayed, had he not, that it would not rain. I wonder if he ever thought of the fact that one day he would experience the drought he had prayed for. Sometime later, verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. God had promised that he would drink from the brook, but now there was no brook. Have you ever experienced the definite leading of the Lord and experienced His provision and then suddenly the brook dries up? Some have called it the betrayal barrier, the feeling that God has let you down. Your brook dries up. The financial support that was there is no longer there. The, the bank used to be full and the jobs were, were plentiful, but now they're not. Or, or maybe it's an emotional strength that has dried up and... and you used to be so on top of things and now you're so filled with anxiety. Or, or maybe it's the spiritual energy that you once had has now faded and, and, and you just shriveled up in your faith. The brook has dried up. Listen to me carefully. Those watching at home, listen to me carefully. If your brook has dried up, let me give you a lesson from this segment of Elijah's life. And here's the lesson. Look at it on the screen. God hasn't stopped being God. God has not stopped being God. Just because the brook dried up, God has not stopped being God. And that's where the story takes another unexpected turn. But we see in this story that God has not stopped being God. Look look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there, and I have commended a widow in that place to supply you with food. I love the fact that God always knows the next thing to do. The brook dried up. Elijah was there wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do now? God always knows the next thing to do. He always knows the next step forward. And notice that God's direction, watch this, this is so important. God's direction always includes God's provision. Think about this. God's direction always includes God's provision. Because if you see in verse, let me go back, if you go in verse 3, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine. That's God's direction. Verse 4, you'll drink from the brook, and, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. Because God's direction always provides, leads you to God's provision. You see the same thing in verse 9. Go at once to Zarephath inside of God's direction. And stay there, and I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. God's provision. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. If you are following God's direction, you can have confidence in God's provision. I have seen that so many times in my personal life, and I've seen it so many times as a pastor. When you are following God's direction, and you know you're following God's direction, you can trust in God's provision. Now, if you were to check a map of ancient Israel, you'll find that Zarephath was west, northeast, northwest actually. This is where he was approximately at the brook. And God said, I want you to go to Zarephath, which was outside of Israel. About a hundred miles away, outside of Israel. It's on the Mediterranean coast. It's a territory outside of Israel and it was ruled, listen to this, this is so important and so interesting. This area was ruled by Jezebel's father, Phoenicia. Remember Jezebel? We talked about her last week. And remember how Jezebel brought Baal worship into Israel? That she was the one that the devil used to introduce Baal worship to the people of God. She came from this area. And now God's sending Elijah to that same area to teach him an important lesson. And God said, 
I have commanded a widow to supply you with food. Now, if I'm Elijah and I hear God say, listen, I want you to go to Zarephath. And he knows where that is. And so he, he starts that trek and, and, and God says, and I've commanded a widow there to provide you with food. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, home cooking. I mean, I appreciate the ravens. I appreciate the bread and the meat. But we're about to get some home cooking. When Elijah got to Zarephath, things were not quite what he expected. That ever happened to you? You, you anticipate one thing, but it's not quite what you expected. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I think Elijah was doing this to try to identify, is this the widow that God has sent him to? He doesn't have a name. doesn't have a picture. So he's using this as trying to identify, are you the one God sent me to? Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. Verse 12. As surely, I want you to hear the sadness in these words. As surely as the Lord your God lives. She replied. Now, now, first of all, why did she refer to him as the one, the Lord your God lives? She apparently recognized this was the man God is sending to me. She apparently recognized this is someone from Israel. First, even though she's outside of Israel, outside of the faith, she recognized that. God helped her to understand it. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. When this widow said, I don't have anything to eat. I don't have any food to give you. I wonder if Elijah's mind didn't flash back to the brook and the ravens bringing food every day. I wonder if Elijah probably didn't smile outwardly in front of this, this grief-stricken lady, but he, he might have smiled, smiled inwardly because he was thinking, God's about to do it again. God's about to do the impossible again. It appears that Elijah is growing in his faith. He's learned a lesson at the brook. In the Kareth Ravine. And he's, he's grown in his faith as a result of all of that. Because listen to these words of faith in verse 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do, do as you said. But watch this. But first, make a small cake of bread for who, church? For me. Boy, what a statement of faith. He didn't say, go home and make a cake of bread for you and your boy, and, and then, you know, make one for me and bring it, and it's all going to be all right. He wanted to see if she's willing to put God first. Go home and make a cake of bread. You said you've only got a little bit. Go home and make a cake of bread for me. Watch this. From what you have, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, watch this. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. 
The, the longer that I live, then the more I walk with God, the more I realize that God's instructions are not always logical. Some of you have found that out to be true, haven't you? God's instructions are not always logical. But here's a lesson. Our obedience precedes God's provision. Our obedience precedes God's provision. Look how the Bible describes it beginning in verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. There's her obedience. So there was food. Watch this. Here's God's provision that always precedes or or follows obedience. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. I love the fact that every day, watch this, listen. Every day this widow from Zarephath met God in the kitchen. Every day she had opened that jar of flour and there was still flour in there. Every day she had opened that jug of oil and there was still oil in there. Every day she met God in her kitchen. The bowl was never empty. The jar was never never dry. And morning by morning, day after day, she experienced God's amazing, unexplainable provision. You can almost hear her singing in the kitchen as she cooks, praise God from whom all biscuits flow. But God was doing more, watch this, God was doing more than just helping a widow woman. God was strengthening the faith of Elijah so he could stand one day on Mount Carmel. You see, God doesn't do anything randomly. God doesn't do anything just flippantly. He doesn't, well, let's just do this. This will be, be fun. No, 1 Kings 17, and everything God did in 1 Kings 17 was preparing Elijah for 1 Kings 18. But the lessons weren't, weren't over. You see, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you'll discover that His tests often come back to back. Or perhaps to be more accurate, I should say, they come back to back to back to back. As soon as you've made it out of one problem thinking, okay, I finally made it through that. There's probably going to be another one to face. Can I get a witness? And this is where the story takes an unexpected and this time tragic turn. Verse 17, sometime later, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. I just want you to feel the sheer panic of that moment. She's already lost her husband. I'm convinced she's a young widow woman because later it says that she carried the boy in her arms. I believe he's a young boy and she's a young mother who's also a widow. And he got sick and she stood there trying as best she could to take care of him but every day he got worse and got worse and got worse until one day he stopped breathing and died. Verse 18 She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? 
See, she's guilt-ridden. She's convinced that it was her sin, something in her past, that somehow is responsible for her son's death. That God's finally getting even with her. God's finally paying her back. And God is using Elijah as his angel of death. She's looking for somebody to blame. She's trying to make sense of it. And she's looking for somebody to blame, which is an actual react, a natural reaction. And the irony is, she and her son were alive because Elijah showed up. They were about to starve to death. But because he showed up, he, they were able to live. But let's not judge this dear lady too harshly because only those who have lost a child can truly understand her grief. Her son was... Probably her pride and joy. And so Elijah took that boy in his arms and he went to his private room to be alone with God. Verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Now, Elijah was about to face the biggest test of all. Verse 20. Then he cried. Here's the prophet crying out to God. Then he cried. Then he cried out to the Lord. Oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Translation. God, why have you done this? God, what are you doing? Let me tell you something. Listen carefully. The best of God's servants have their questions. Just because you're a man or a woman of God and maybe you have a platform and maybe people look up to you and maybe, maybe you're a prophet, it doesn't mean that you know everything. It doesn't mean that you have all the questions down and faith is never a problem for you and you always understand what God's doing. No, that's not the case at all. Even God's best servants have their questions and their doubts. Times when they struggle. Elijah is confused. I want to remind you of something. He's in a situation that at least from a human perspective, he does not deserve. Follow with me carefully. He obeyed God, just like God said. He left Ahab and he obeyed God and went and hid at the Kareth Ravine. He followed God from the Kareth Ravine and he trusted God to, to provide for him and meet all of his needs. He obeyed God when God said, leave this place and go over to Zarephath. And he went. And he did everything God had told him to do. He did exactly as God has asked him to do. And here he is with a dead child in his arms, wondering why God would break the heart of a dear mother. And Elijah realizes that only a miracle is going to change this situation. And so he prays for God's provision once again. But this time, he's not praying for water or for food. This time he's praying for a life to be returned to the body of this little boy. And you need to understand something. Everybody look up here. You need to understand something. Up until this point in Scripture, when you read through the Bible, up until this point in Scripture, there was no reference at all to someone coming back from the dead. There's no account. You start in Genesis 1-1 and read all the way through 1 Kings 17. There's no account in Scripture up until this point of anybody being raised from the dead. Elijah couldn't look back in his prayer time and say, God, remember what you did over there in Leviticus chapter 13? Would you do it again? No, there's, there's no account like that. The only thing that Elijah could refer back to 
was how God had met his needs miraculously. The only thing that he could rely on was this, his faith in the living God. And so we read in verse 21, Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And he cried a second time, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And he looked and he waited and he cried a third time, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. No words could ever describe what happened in that little upstairs bedroom when that little corpse began to move and Elijah saw life come back to that little boy's body again. Listen to me. Elijah witnessed God do the impossible. And he went, watch this, he witnessed God do the impossible at the brook. He watched God do the impossible in the widow's kitchen. And he watched God do the impossible in his upper bedroom. His faith in God's provision and in God's power was now solidified. And the story ends with a widow woman saying something extremely important. It's such a bridge to the next chapter. You might want to highlight it in your Bibles. The last verse of chapter 17, it says, Then the woman said to Elijah, as she's holding her little boy, who is now alive, then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. A pagan woman living outside of Israel declared that Elijah was a man of God who speaks the word of God. And Elijah was now ready to go stand on Mount Carmel in front of Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal. He's a man of God who speaks the word of God. Now, that's a great story, but I want to give you some lessons today before we leave in just the next few minutes about God's provision. Just to kind of bring it all together. First of all, number one, never underestimate how God will supply your need. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has ways of supplying your need that you have never dreamed of. He can use the ravens. He can, use the, he can refill the jars. He can bring back life where in an impossible situation. God has ways of supplying your need that you don't even know about. Number two, God always knows the next thing we should do. You may not know. And it might scare you to death. And it might worry you like crazy. But God always knows. You see, He hasn't stopped being God just because your brook dried up. God always knows the next thing we should do. Now what I found in my walk, that it is indeed a walk of faith. He doesn't reveal the totality of every step. He doesn't say, you're going to start at A and you're going to get to Z. He usually only gives you the next step. He says, you're going to start at A and I want you to go over here to B. And when you get to B, he says, okay, okay now I want you to go over here to C. 
And then he says, okay, this is D. But he never usually tells you how to get from A to Z. It's always a walk of faith. It's always God showing you the next thing to do. So if you, if you are struggling in some area right now, just say, God, what's the next step forward? We want to know what Z is. You, we, you might just need to ask him, what's B? What's the next step forward? Number three. Our problems may be preparation for a greater mission. Now, I want to give you four things based on Elijah's story to help you, to just to kind of summarize it and help you understand this point. That our problems sometimes are preparation. I'm really convinced you cannot understand 1 Kings 18 until you see the preparation of 1 Kings 17. So let me give you four statements. Write these down. You may want to even write them in your Bible later. Four statements about God's preparation and God's provision. Four statements of faith that you might need to declare in your life this week. Over and over and over. If your brook has dried up, you need to memorize these four statements. To help you understand that our problems may be preparation for a greater mission. Here's the four statements. Number one, and they're all based on Elijah's story. Here's the first statement. Number one, God brought me here. God brought me here. Whether he was at the brook or whether he was at the widow's house, Elijah could always say, God brought me here. God sovereignly brought me to this place, to this problem. God brought me here. Number two, God will take care of my needs. If God brought me here, I can trust him. He's going to take care of my needs. God will take care of my needs. Number three, God can make this trial a blessing. God can make this trial a blessing. In other words, God may be preparing me for a greater mission. God can make this trial a blessing. Number four, God will show me His purpose in His time. God will show me His purpose in His time. If you think about it, you can summarize all four of those points with that great verse in Romans 8 that says, and we know that in all things... God works for those, for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Elijah didn't have that verse, but if we were able to share it with him today, Elijah would say, Amen. God works in all things for good of those who have called according to His purpose, because sometimes our problems are more than just problems. Sometimes our problems are preparation for a greater mission. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank you for the word that is so true and so living and so accurate. And for these dear folks, Lord, who may be struggling today because their brook has dried up. Or maybe they're like Elijah was with the widow at Zarephath and just trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? Why have you done this? I pray you'll continue to provide for them and to prepare them for what's ahead. May they walk with you today so that you can use them tomorrow. And we pray that in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.